For the next three weeks, uh, myself, Pastor Tom, and Greg Morrow will be going to filling in for Brett from the pulpit. We're going to be going through uh, Psalms 6 through 8 from the Psalter. The Psalter is a worthy uh, book to study, though, during the summer. Um, It'll be a good short time break. The Psalter is actually 150 poems, songs, and hymns taken from, which basically served as the liturgy for ancient Israel. Um, The psalm, the Psalter, is the largest book of the Bible. It's the most frequently quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. And conversely, if you're studying the New Testament and you read references to the Old Testament, the largest proportion of those references back to the Old Testament are going to be taken from the Psalms or the Psalter. So the Psalms are going to be a good book to study while Brett is away refreshing himself. Um, We're going to be uh, looking this morning specifically at Psalm 6 out of the Psalter. And Psalm 6 is notable um, probably first and foremost for being the initial or the first penitential psalm. And a penitential psalm is a psalm of lament, a psalm of sorrow, a psalm of weeping. Um, Psalm 6 itself is specifically a story of two major characters, and it consists of two major storylines. It's the story of David, David the human author of the psalm, the writer of the psalm, and it's also the story of God, the spiritual author, God the Holy Spirit, who motivated David to write this psalm itself. So it's a story of David, and it's also a story of God. Psalm 6 is the story of David. You remember David if you attended Sunday school. Um, You're familiar with David. David was a shepherd. David was a giant slayer. David was a mighty warrior. But David was a, a complex character. David was also a poet. David was a musician. David was a gifted man by God, gifted in in, in many ways. Um, You might see David as sort of like a man ahead of his time, a Renaissance man ahead of his time, a man gifted in both war and war efforts as well as gifted in poetry and song and singing to God. Psalm 6 is a story of David and David's suffering and David's struggles. And we're going to be looking this morning at David's struggling and dealing with the suffering, with lament in Psalm 6. But Psalm 6 as well is also a story of God, the author behind the author. Psalm 6 is going to show us and demonstrate for us God's justice, God's mercy. And most of all, Psalm 6 teaches us the most important thing in scriptures, the story of God's deliverance for those who trust in him. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 6 this morning, the story of David's suffering, but also the story of David's deliverer the God who provides deliverance of his people in times of suffering. So if you suffer this morning, this study is for you. If you're not suffering this morning, uh, as we'll see, this study is for you as well because study, uh, suffering itself is normative for both believers and non-believers this side of heaven. Well, the Psalter's deep waters, and I know I'm going to need help, and you're probably going to need help, to study God's word this morning and pay close attention. Would you please join me now as we go and pray before our God and prepare for this morning's uh, study of God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of justice, a God upright, 
and without iniquity. We thank you that you are a God of mercy, a God who saves us not on the basis of our good deeds, but according to your grace and to your mercy. We thank you that you are a God who hears our weeping, a God who hears our prayers. But most of all, dear God, we thank you that you are our deliverer, our God that redeems, our God that regenerates, our God that gives new life when we are both spiritually and physically exhausted. God, we pray that you would bless our time together studying your word this morning as we better understand who you are and who we are united to Christ. May our souls be refreshed and may our worship be renewed. We thank you in advance and look expectantly for all that you're going to do in our hearts and our souls this morning. And may all of this be for your glory alone. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier, Psalm 6 is noted for being a penitential song. It's a psalm about David's suffering, but it's also a psalm about God's deliverance. Studying this psalm will help us to understand how to respond to suffering today and how to look forward to God's deliverance. The entire Psalter, the 150 psalms, show us that suffering is normative. Normative is a word that Pastor Brett uses frequently, and it's a word that I'm coming to love more and more. Normative means normal. Normative means it should be expected. Normative means we shouldn't be surprised when something happens, that it's a normal part of everyday uh, fallen nature, fallen life. The, the Psalter shows this, um, proves this out. Uh, a full 40% of the Psalter 59 out of the 150 books in the Psalter are lament. The Psalter is the largest book in the Bible, and 40% of that largest book in the Bible are laments, are stories of mourning. So suffering should not surprise us. Suffering in this, on this side of heaven is normal. 3,000 years ago, we can see that King David suffered, and if, you, if I were to talk to most of you and ask you, I believe that many of you are suffering today as well. But please turn with me to Psalm 6, and so we can learn from David's example of how to suffer well and faithfully wait for God's deliverance. Psalm 6 reads as follows. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. 
All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Amen. Before we dive into the weeds and look at general themes or details, I don't want us to miss the depth of David's suffering. David was languishing both in body and in soul. We see references to his bones suffering and also his soul suffering in verses 2 and 3. David, in verse 4 and 5, shows us that he feared for his very life. And in verse 3, we see that David felt abandoned by God. The refrain, how long, is frequently an expression of frustration over waiting for God to answer and waiting for God to answer and waiting for God to answer and having no reply. So before we jump into the psalm, I think we need to just grab hold of the fact that David's suffering was deep, it was physical, it was spiritual, and it was emotional, and that it really racked his entire soul. We're going to be looking this morning at what we can learn from David's suffering. David modeled, in a lot of ways, the, a good way for Christians to, to deal with suffering, to work through suffering, but also to respond to suffering and look forward towards God's deliverance. Um, for those of you taking notes, Katie Balzer, um, David's suffering falls naturally into a three-part outline. And that outline is as follows. Seek God graciously. Expect your case, trans- express your case transparently. And celebrate God's deliverance. Seek God graciously. Express your case transparently and celebrate God's deliverance. Let's look at seek God graciously first and foremost. In in verses 1 to 5, David shows us the proper way to approach God when you're suffering. Probably the best way to not get lost in the weeds, I think, in verses 1 to 5 is to is to briefly look at verse 4b, which, which would be the, the pinnacle. In other words, the first four verses, the first three verses are really building up to verse 4, where David expresses the idea, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. These first four verses are building first five verses building to that refrain, that request by David to to, uh, counting on God's steadfast love. This this section starts off building towards that mountain peak by asking God two things in two different ways, both in a a, a negative fashion and in in a positive fashion. You remember verses 1 and 2. Oh God, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Verse 1 shows David's tone. It's a tone that at first struck me as being a bit arrogant. Um, the, words, the, uh, the words used are imperatives. Rebuke me not, 
discipline, nor discipline me. Is David demanding that God rebuke him? Is David standing up to God and saying, hey, this isn't fair? Yeah, don't, don't, don't do this to me. And if, if you look at the, in the language, in originally written, there's a, a clarification that while these are imperatives, they're soft imperatives. David is coming to God, making demands, but they're soft demands. David's coming to God, telling God, but asking God, rebuke me not, the negative form of declaring to God that he doesn't really want to be punished. And then the positive flip side of that is telling God or requesting God to not discipline him. Now, many of the penitential psalms actually are penitential because they have a clear expression um, and a confession of sin. And we read through this psalm earlier. I didn't see that. I don't think you probably saw it either, right? We don't see David saying, forgive me, Lord, for I have greatly sinned. That is not in this psalm. But if you look at the language in these first two verses, David's, the sense that he's seeking, he senses his need or the uh, inevitability of uh, being rebuked or being disciplined would indicate that David senses his position before God is one of a subordinate. And even though there's no outright confession of sin, we can see that David's coming before God as a sinner um, with a broken heart. And so we should, like David, we should approach God and God's throne of grace with reverential fear, with respect, and with a penitential attitude. Verses 4a and b continue this same theme where David asks God to save him. David asks God to turn to him. Turning is a frequent phrase used in the scriptures by David in many cases to express a desire for God to turn back to him. David feels abandoned by God. David feels alone, left alone by God. And that that loneliness, that penitential heart, that sense of brokenness brings us to verse 4. In verse 4, David comes before God and asks God to deliver his life based on one particular point of approach, based on one fact, based on one principle. David comes before God and requests God to save him, to deliver him, not on the basis of his own works, not on the basis of his own deeds, but on the basis of God's steadfast love. Faced with extreme suffering, David came to God humbly, and David came before God based only on God's grace and God's mercy. And so in the same way, we should come before God seeking his grace and seeking his mercy coming before God only on the basis of his uh, sacrificial love of what he has done for us. In verses 1 to 5, David prayed to God humbly while he suffered. Let's look next at how David's tone changes in verses 6 to 7 as he expresses his case transparently. Maybe you picked up on this. Um, In verses 
1 to 5, the focus of David's language was God. O Lord, rebuke me not. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Heal me, O Lord. But you, O Lord. The object, the focus of David's prayer was God. Looking to God for salvation. Looking to Yahweh, the covenant God, L-O-R-D capitalized, for salvation. In verses 6 and 7, things change. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with my tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Can you sense David's exhaustion? Can you sense David's weakness? I mean, bear in mind, this is the same David that the women sang about after David defeated the Philistines. And the song that those women sung was, David has, Saul has slain his ten thousands. David has slain his thousands. Nope, let's try this again. (laughs) Who? Saul has slain his thousands. And David, his ten thousands. David, who was once a mighty warrior, who really had apparently little fear or so much faith that he was not, a, not reticent to face David or to face thousands of Philistines, here has been so, brought so low, he's broken down, weak in his bed, weeping so much that his bed is flooded, floating in his tears. When faced with extreme, extreme suffering, we can see David did what we should do as well, too. David expressed his case transparently before God. David didn't hold back from God patiently, without anger, without malice, without complaint. David presented his case to God, the merciful God, seeking gracious help. Have you ever been brought low like David? Have you ever suffered like David? Suffered long? Have you ever been brought to the end of yourself? I think many, most Christians have. Um, I find it very interesting that um, during the membership interviews, um, I would sort of classify people in two buckets. Those that that had uh, wild lives, let's say, away from God, maybe weren't raised in the church, maybe ignorant of the gospel, and many of them came to a point in their life where God expressed to them the emptiness of their life, um, the weakness of their life, the direction of their life, and God opened their eyes and turned them from their sin towards God. There's another group, though, those that were raised in the church, those that had followed the gospel, and many of them had told me, um, there's never been a day that I didn't think that I was a Christian. But notably, in each of those cases as well, too, Each of them expressed to me that there was a time in each of their lives where they had come to the end of themselves, where they realized through God, the Holy Spirit, opening their eyes of their need for a redeemer, of their need of a savior. When God brings us low, that's when we understand just how much we need him. When God brings us low through sickness and suffering, through persecution, 
through neglect, through abandonment, we look, we can only look to him. We're forced to look from our own resources and our strengths towards God. We look for help outside of ourselves. Brought to the end of ourselves, we're better equipped to love and to praise the God who redeemed us. So in verses 6 to 7, we can see how David was transparent, expressing his need before God. And in the same way, we should be transparent, come before God in our time of suffering, in our time of trial, honestly, transparently, and expectantly lifting up um, our needs when we suffer. In verses 8 8 to 10, let's look at the change in David's language as he celebrates God's deliverance. Verses 8 to 10 read as follows. Depart from me, you workers of evil, for the Lord has served the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. The tone changes again. We're in the first five verses. We see David, we see David suffering. We see God, David praying to God for relief, for redemption. And in verses six to seven, we see David's mourning, his moaning, his tears. In verses eight to 10, we see David's celebration, his celebration of God's deliverance. Did you hear the tone? Again, the Psalms were songs sung in worship by Israel. And I would imagine if this was a song that we put to to music today, the key would change from from minor to major to express the change in, in situation. The psalm changes from a lament to a joy-filled celebration. The central verse to this celebration is the declaration in verse 8. The Lord has heard. We see that same verse repeated again and again. The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my prayer. The Lord has heard my plea. In your Bible, the capitalized uh, word Lord, L-O-R-D, is the covenant name of God, and it reinforces the celebratory, redemptive theme. It's the Lord and his redemption that was giving David his confidence, giving, giving David his ability to, to go forward. Back in verse 4, we saw that David felt abandoned. And David prayed that God would turn back towards him. Here in verses 8 and 9, we see that God has answered that prayer. David, who once suffered physically, spiritually, David, who was convicted by unannounced sin, David, who suffered apparently being abandoned by a silent God, has now been made spiritually 
and physically whole. David has been delivered. Central to David's deliverance is, the, is that name of the, the covenant name of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. The covenant Lord hears, and that was David's restoration. That was David's hope. Maybe when we began, when we began this psalm, you might have been wondering, well, what exactly was the cause of David's suffering? Some people have speculated, well, it talks about David asks God to heal him. So maybe David was really sick. Maybe he had the flu. Maybe he had some terrible illness, and that was causing him to weep and to mourn and to suffer. Others have felt maybe David was, um, had, had injury, had hurt himself. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he had broken his leg. Maybe he'd been injured in battle. But here, tucked away at the end of verse 7, is the comment that his eye wastes away and all of this suffering is due because of all of his foes. I think, well, it'd be nice to really pin down exactly what caused David's suffering, cause and effect. I think it could have been all of the above and any of the above. And I think the scriptures here they kind of keep it wide open. It may have been sickness. It may have been physical injury. It may have been emotional distress. Or it might have been some great sin. There might have been a reason, a cause and effect, that David had, had brought about this, this uh, conviction of sin. Or it might have just been ordinary everyday life and the trials and travails of life. But it doesn't really matter because it could apply to all of those. But... Persecution or emotional stress can lead to physical illness. But while we might not know the specific cause of David's suffering, we do know what's most important, or what is important, is that it was caused by his foes. And we know this is important, and I'd only bring it up because Psalm 6 wraps up by celebrating God's retribution on David's foes. Verse 10 reads as follows. All my enemies, his foes, shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. The, poetical, the poetic redemption here, the poetic irony is, is, uh, is, is really great. Where David was once greatly ashamed and troubled, now his foes have been greatly troubled and ashamed. Where David once pleaded with God to turn back to him, now we see that David's foes shall be turned back and put to shame in a moment. David's shame was turned back on his enemies. David's suffering was put back on his foes. So verses 8 to 10 wrap up in Psalm 6, a celebration as God restores David's faith. So in a similar way, we can learn from David that we should respond um, when God answers to our prayers in our times of suffering. We should respond with praise and celebration when God reveals himself, particularly in those difficult seasons of life. 
In Psalm 6, the first penitent psalm, David provides an example of how we should deal with suffering. When suffering, David prayed to the covenant God with respectful fear. David approached God not on the basis of his own good works, but upon God's covenantal promises to deliver Israel. While suffering, we see God, we see that David transparently poured out his heart to God, and so should we pour out our hearts to God. When God answered David's prayer, how did he respond? With praise, with celebration. We would do good to follow David's example. However, for all the benefits and abilities and strengths that David had, David was an Old Testament saint. And we, as New Testament saints, this side of the cross, have more light and more revelation than David had. David pursued a relationship based on God's steadfast love, but we have greater assurance of faith than David. While David relied on the Old Testament covenants, the promise God would secure land, descendants, and God's blessings for them, we, Christians, today, put our faith in Jesus and his substitutionary death on the cross for our assurance in approaching God. Where David worshipped God in a tent, in the tabernacle, an earthly tent, we worship God, our Savior, whose very body itself has become the temple. In seasons of suffering, the life of David serves as a solid guide for God's deliverance for believers today. But believers today, we should, we should not neglect the additional light provided by the scriptures, that provided by God, our Savior, who died on the cross to pay for our sins. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a just, gracious God, a God who by your very nature is righteous and just, but as well a God that is long-suffering, gracious, and merciful. God, we thank you that like David, we can confidently approach your throne of grace, that though aware of our sin, we are as well acutely aware of your grace and mercy provided for sinners to be reconciled, to be restored to close and intimate fellowship with you. God, we thank you that through the new covenant, through Christ's death on the cross, through his burial and resurrection, our sins are paid for, our relationship with you is renewed, and our lives are given new hope and new purpose. God, thank you for your holy scriptures. Thank you for the good news of the gospel that lost, weak sinners can be redeemed. Thank you, God, that in the normative seasons of suffering and pain, we can call out to you for fellowship, for healing, 
and for assurance. We praise you this morning and we thank you for this morning for being our good God and our heavenly king. Amen.